to catch you up a little bit, it's been a little while, in his climatic presentation of the ministry of the Holy Spirit in securing the non-condemnation status of us tonight as believers, starting in verse 1 of Romans 8 where he says, There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus. Right? He starts it out in verse 1. Paul focuses on his securing us by guaranteeing our future glory in the whole rest of the remainder of this chapter. Romans 8 is some folks' favorite chapter in the entire Bible. It's a preacher's paradise. I don't want to move too fast through Romans 8. I love Romans chapter 8. In the last Two times in Romans 8, we studied the incomparable gains that believers possess because of our God-promised glory in 1718. Remember that? Incomparable. The gain we have waiting for us. You can't compare it. I mean, the things that you love. I love chocolate milkshakes. My wife made this, this steak and gravy, mashed potatoes and corn tonight. And I could have ate four helpings of that and not been stuffed. I love it. There's three of us boys. Pretty soon when Stephen Amber roll in the town, there'll be four boys and a pregnant woman. And that food is going to disappear fast. It's, nothing compares to the glory, the wonderfulness of heaven Paul has brought us to understand. <clears throat> now in the present text, Paul focuses our attention on the anticipation of that glory, anticipation of that glory, the overwhelming groans of what? Not Mike up here getting ready to lead you in a hymn talking about groaning, talking about what? The groans of creation, of believers, and of the Holy Spirit himself. Now, let me ask you a question tonight. Have you ever groaned before? Let me see your hand if you've ever groaned before. Oh, man, some of you are liars out there. Didn't see your hand go up. All right, I won't call you a liar, but I think you are anyway. But anyway, listen. All right, tell me what a groan is. Nice and loud. We won't have a mic run around or anything. What is a groan? Don't, don't groan, but give me a definition of a groan. Complainer. What else? What's a groan, folks? Frustration. Good. What? Pain. Pain. Somebody say exasperation. Good. It is an audible, you can hear it coming from people, can't you? It's an audible expression of anguish. I love Jackie's definition, pain. It's anguish due to physical, emotional or spiritual pain. These groanings are a condition that is very painful, unsatisfying. It's very, very, very sorrowful. If you ladies in here have been through childbirth or going to, the the groanings of childbirth are incredible. I watched my wife go through four times, and, and it's a miracle, a wonderful, best four days of my life other than coming to Christ and salvation. But it's, it's painful. Uh, it's difficult. 
uh, childbirthing isn't sorrowful and unsatisfying. But groaning has that definition to it. It is a cry actually for deliverance from a torturing experience. Help me, God. I need your help. We're, we're, that's, that's, we've all experienced it, whether you raised your hand tonight or not. Let's just jump right into it. And I feel like you guys in the back are going to work this for me. I don't know why. Um, the groaning of creation. <clears throat> the groaning of creation in verses 19 through 22. <clears throat> the first groaning is the cry coming from the created universe as it now exists in the corrupted condition caused by what, folks? Caused by sin. Caused by what we know, the fall, right? The words here in our text, earnest expectation, are vivid words that literally refer to watching with an outstretched head, watching on your, your tiptoes, and earnestly expecting something. The eyes are looking ahead with, a, with expectations. So, folks, the creation, if you could say, is on its tiptoes, as it were, as it waits eagerly or earnestly for the revealing of who? The sons of God. Now, the Jews, okay, so we're not, we're not in that day. We're speed way ahead in the present day, but in the past... The Jews were familiar with God's promise of a redeemed world and renewed creation. Isaiah <coughs> predicted it in 65, 17, where he says, For behold, I create new heavens and a new earth, and the former shall be remembered, nor come into mind. Shall not be remembered, nor come into mind. The Jews anticipated a wonderful time. When all pain, oppression, slavery, anxiety, sorrow, persecution would end and the Lord would establish his own perfect kingdom of peace and righteousness. And I'm so glad, you know, the Jews experienced that. I'm so glad we don't experience anxiety today, do we? A sorrow. Never a sorrowful day in our lives, is there? Pain, difficulty. I'm so glad we experience peace and righteousness every moment, every single day. Not so. And he's going to lay out in this passage why. Now, the word creation does not here include the heavenly angels. We've got to figure out, you know what it means, but let's just, let's just like, Put the X on what it doesn't mean, okay? It doesn't include heavenly angels who, although they're created beings, they're not subject to corruption, are they, folks? Um, the term obviously does not include Satan and his host of fallen angels, the demons. Uh, folks, you know, as well as I do, they have no desire for godliness, do they? Uh, sinless state. They're sentenced to eternal torment, and they know that. So Paul isn't referring to them here. Believers are not included in that term either because they are mentioned separately in verses 23 through 25. Nor is Paul referring to unbelievers here, obviously. So the 
only thing left is what? The only thing left is the remaining part of creation is the part including what or whom or what things, what? Animals, right? Plants. Animals and plants, all things such as like um, we drove through, <laughs> when you get close to like, uh, what's that state called? West Virginia. Um, mountains everywhere. <laughs> Almost happened. I figured that would come from y'all over there. You should see them light up right away. Um, mountains, rivers, plants, seas, any kind of heavenly body. That's what Paul's talking about here. The Jews were familiar with such a personification of or bringing alive nature. Um, Isaiah had personification when he wrote in verse 55, 12, you see, <clears throat> for ye shall go out with joy and be led forth with peace. The mountains and hills shall break forth before you into singing. Have you ever seen a, <laughs> I'm sorry, even in West Virginia, they don't sing. The mountains don't sing, folks. The birds might be singing in the mountains, but they don't sing. The trees of the field shall clap their hands. Have you ever seen tr trees, uh, forget about Lord of the Rings, but have you ever seen tr trees clap their hands? No, they don't clap their hands. Isaiah's using personification here, folks. Um, in 35.1, the wilderness and the solitary place shall be glad for them, and the desert shall rejoice. The desert doesn't rejoice and blossom as the rose. <clears throat> now, back to our text in verse 19, the verb waiteth. It refers to waiting in great anticipation, but with patience. Those two things don't go together for me. When I'm anticipating, I want it now, I'm waiting now, I'm thinking now, but it has the sense of, okay, be a little patient as you're anticipating it also gives the meaning of uh, readiness. It gives the meaning of preparedness, a continuance until the expected event occurs. In verse 19, this big word manifestation, it refers to the uncovering, unveiling, or revelation. It is this word from where we get our English name of the book of Revelation. That's where that word comes from, the book of Revelation. So the world does not comprehend who Christians really are. It's anticipating. It's like, it's groaning. It's eagerly awaiting, trying to understand what this is all about. Who are Christians? Who are believers? Who are the sons and daughters of God? In his first epistle, <coughs> John explained to follow believers in 1 John 3, 1. Behold what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us, that we should be called the sons of God. Therefore, the world, it's the, the cosmos, it's the mountains, it's the plants, it's the creation, the world knoweth us not because it knew him not. The world, creation, even unbelievers... In the present age, the world is unable to distinguish absolutely between Christians and non-believers. <coughs> I 
I don't see the folks I talked to the other night, but I was so thrilled. I was talking to some folks and, and invited them to come to church. And I invited them to come to our Sunday school class. I don't think I invited them to come to Mike's, but oh well. God will forgive me for that one. I was just trying to get them there. I'm like, um, I come, come to our Sunday school class. You'll have fun with us, learn the word of God. And the one man said, I've been backslidden quite a while, but maybe we should come. And, <clears throat> and a couple others. And, and they were talking, as they were Christians, I wasn't for sure if they were Christians or not. I didn't go far enough with them. It can be really confusing, folks. People who call themselves Christians walk, dress, and talk much like everyone else at times. Many unbelievers actually have really, really high standards of behavior, folks. And on the other hand, unfortunately, many professing Christians have little evidence of salvation. And so when you take uh, unbelievers that have a high standard of morality or behavior and you take a Christian that has really uh, very little evidence of salvation, it's really hard to tell, isn't it? But folks, at the appointed time, God will reveal, he'll make manifest, he'll unveil, <coughs> creation will see, all will see, those who are truly his. <coughs> when is that? <clears throat> when is that? My computer is doing all kinds of goofy things now. No idea what I did, I, but I think I got it off. <clears throat> First time for that to happen to me. When is that? In Colossians chapter 3, verse 4, it says, When Christ, who is our life, shall appear, then shall ye also appear with him in glory. That's when it is. At that time, all believers will be eternally separated from sin and their unredeemed humanness to be glorified with Christ's own holiness and splendor. When Adam and Eve sinned by disobeying God's command, not only mankind, but the earth, the creation, the cosmos, the universe, all the rest of the world was cursed and corrupted. Why is Paul saying there's these tremendous groanings? Why does he start with creation? Why does he move to believers? And then why does he go to the Holy Spirit? Because this whole world, everything about it, it's just in a state of groaning. Why do you groan sometimes? Why do you sorrow sometimes? Why do you cry sometimes? Why is there pain in your life sometimes? And Paul is trying to address why this is. And Paul is trying to help us to get up on our toes and stretch our neck out and think, yes, someday I won't be groaning. And someday you won't be groaning. It's going to happen. I mean, I'm looking at all these faces tonight, and all of you have been in pain and suffering and difficulties and anxiety and the whole gamut. <clears throat> Look at what God said to Adam after the fall in Genesis 3, 17 through 19. And unto Adam he said, Because thou hast hearkened unto the voice of thy wife, and hast eaten of the tree of which I commanded thee, saying, Thou shalt not eat of it. Cursed is the ground for thy sake. This is the world we live in, folks. <coughs> in sorrow shalt thou eat of it all the days of thy life. All the days of your life. Thorns also and thistles 
shall it bring forth to thee. And thou shalt eat the herb of the field. In the sweat of thy face shalt thou eat bread till thou return unto the ground. You're going back to the ground. You're going to become a dust ball again unless Christ comes back. You're going to die. You're going to get old. You're going to experience pain and suffering and anguish, physical, emotional, spiritual. It's going to come upon you even as a believer in Christ. It's all going to come upon you unless you see Christ in the rapture first. For out of it wast thou taken, for dust thou art, and unto dust shalt thou return. Before the fall, no weeds, no poisonous plants, no poisonous snakes. They have them down here, don't they? I've killed two copperheads on my... I'm like, get out of here, snakes. And they're laughing at me like, just give me one chance to bite you with my poison and inflict pain and suffering on you. That's what poisonous snakes do. For the fall, there was none. No poisonous plants, no poisonous weeds. There were probably poisonous snakes. No thorns, no thistles, or anything else existed that could cause man misery or harm. Think of that. How would you like to live in that environment? How would you like to be Adam and Eve in that environment? No pain, no suffering. You don't have to take Prozac one single day of your life because you're not anxious for a moment because you're walking with Jesus Christ consistently with no pain, no suffering, no children in disobedience, no rebellion, no parental problems, no husband and wife quarrels or frustrations or difficulties, no need for marital counseling with Adam and Eve, no need for taking drugs, no need for getting drunk, no need for cutting your wrist, no need for any of that pain and suffering that the whole world around us as Christians and if you don't see it and you don't experience it, you got your, hole, your head in a hole right now. It's everywhere. And I, so I, I left, and I couldn't wait to get back after hearing Jackie's testimony. I'm like, yeah, that's awesome, man. I wanted to record that. I was thinking the whole time, they should write a little book or a, a track about that and get that out there so people say, wow, yeah, life is real. Life is difficult. There are people, people go through difficulties. That's us, even in Christendom, the world we live in, this creation around us because of the fall. Now back to our text in Romans 8, 20, Paul says, for the creature was made subject to, to what? To vanity, not what? Not willingly, but by reason of him who hath subjected the same in hope. Now I have to ask some questions in that verse. The word vanity. We all know what the word vanity means. Why is it in this verse? What's he talking about? What's the importance of God inserting this word here in this sentence? The word vanity carries the idea of being without success. Of being unable to achieve a goal or unable to achieve a purpose. And because of man's sin, because you and I, born in sin... No part of nature now exists as God's intended it to be and as it originally was, folks, because of our sin. This whole world is a messed up world. Why? Because of Adam and Eve? Because of you and I. Because of our sin, this whole world's a mess. My daughter and son-in-law, Stephen Amber, 
they were in Philadelphia. They flew Philadelphia, brought a busload of kids up to BJ, and then drove them back down, flew back to BJ. <coughs> and they, they couldn't believe what they seen in Philadelphia. Anybody from Philadelphia? <coughs> Syringes, uh, drugs. Uh, it was just, they were, they were, they were shocked. Um, there's a lot more to say about that. But everywhere it's that way. The verb in verse 20 was made subject. Means that nature did not curse itself, right? Was made subject. It was not cursed itself, folks, right? But was cursed by something or someone else. Now, who would curse this world? Who would subject this world to vanity? This, this painfulness, this ugliness that we're surrounded by, it's everywhere around us. We're dealing with experiencing it. And this is where some people come in and, and really get skewed in their knowledge of God and their character of God and what God is doing and what he's all about. And this is where they get bitter with God and angry with God because they say, why would a God uh, do this and allow this to happen? Paul goes on to reveal that the curse on nature was executed by who? By its creator. God himself subjected the world to its vanity. Decay. I'm decaying. You're decaying. We're getting older. We're wearing out. The disease, the pain, the death. I went up to Ohio because my sister seen my mom laying on the ground and the floor, almost dead. And she's like, I cannot go back in that house. You've got to come up and help me clean up the house and get it ready to sell. Okay, we'll come up. That's why we went up there. She died. Death is coming. It's imminent for all of us. At some point, our in Christ come back. <clears throat> Natural disaster pollution, all other forms of evil that you can think of out there, it will never cease, folks, until the one who sent the curse removes it and he creates a new heaven and he creates a new earth. I'm not trying to be Johnny Raincloud tonight. I'm trying to tell you that if you see the big picture of why creation is groaning, why believers are groaning, why do you and I groan? Why is the Holy Spirit groaning? There's a reason. And it's a glorious expectation. And it's an earnest expectation of what's coming. And that's going to help us in our groanings. <coughs> in spite of this curse, much of the beauty and benefits of the natural world remains. Although they are deteriorated, they deteriorate very quickly, Flowers are still beautiful, aren't they, folks? Benefits of the natural world remain. Mountains are still incredible. Forests are still wonderful. Food still brings nourishment, and it is such a pleasure. I love to eat. I, I eat to live, but I live to eat, or however that phrase goes. I mix up all these phrases Food is wonderful. Water still brings refreshment 
and sustenance. Don't you just love a nice glass of water? Despite the terrible curse that he inflicted on earth, God's provision for mankind is still evident wherever one looks. So, folks, that's why creation is groaning. And then I want you to see number two tonight, <coughs> groaning of believers, verses 23 through 25. <coughs> it is the redemption of believers that is actually central to God's ultimate regeneration. Believers are adopted into his heavenly family, and we are heirs of his glorious eternal kingdom. We've already learned that. Every true believer agonizes at times over the appalling consequences of sin in our own lives and in the lives of others. We see it in our own life. We look around. We see it in other people's lives. And because we have the Holy Spirit living within us, we are spiritually sensitive to the corruption of sin in us and around us. You don't like sin. You don't like to see sin in other people's lives. It's difficult. And because the Holy Spirit, he indwells us, his work in us and through us, it is a type, the passage says here, it's a type of first fruits. When the Spirit came into your life, when you accepted Christ as your Savior, and all of a sudden you're like, where'd that decision come from? I'm starting to read and understand God's Word and I'm making these decisions. Where'd that come from? How did I make that decision? The Holy Spirit helped you do that. The Holy Spirit is coming along and teaching you and comforting you and moving you along to make these good and wonderful decisions. They're not always easy. Sometimes they're hard decisions. Those are first fruits. Folks, the first fruits are actually a foretaste, or you could say an expectation of the glory that awaits us in heaven. When our corrupted mortal bodies are exchanged for ones that are, that are incorruptible and immortal. I can't imagine it. It's hard to imagine. How can you not have a single pain in your body, right? Who has a pain in their body? Like, move around a little bit. Do you feel pain or something like that? Do you have great eyesight? Do you have great hearing? I mean, like, seriously, someday your body's going to be perfect. You're going to be a 10. You can imagine that. Yeah, that's going to be awesome. Someday, and I, I, I earnestly wait and expect that. I can't wait for it. I'm longing for it. Sometimes I'm sick in my body. I got tennis elbow, and ouch, if you bump it, right, Ah, if you ever had it, it hurts. Sometimes I get tired of headaches, don't you? The body pains, the knees, the joints, the inflammation, sometimes the lack of sleep. Why do I get anxious? I know all these Bible passages and biblical counseling. Why do I allow myself to get anxious? Why do I think corrupt things? Like, why? Like, who are we fooling, men? Like, why, do we, why were we married? And why do we look at another woman and say, wow, she has dropped dead gorgeous? You know, oh, man, don't say that. Don't talk like that. You know, you thought it before. Why are we tempted to do that? When the Bible is specific about who we should keep our eyes on, our love towards. There's flesh in us and red blood in us. And women, why are you so tempted to, you get feeling down, you just... Whatever is your crave, you want to go shopping or you want to eat 20 pounds of food in one sitting or whatever it is, it's a part of us. You're not going to escape it. You're not going to leave it until you come to Christ in glory. There's this groaning. The sin is all around us. It's in creation. And, and the creation groaneth. The mountains groan. The valleys groan. And we groan. 
We see sin in us. When's the last time you sinned? I don't know. I, I don't want to know when the last time you sinned, but it's, I call them short sin accounts. I call it all the time. Short sin accounts. You sin, deal with it as quickly as you can. Short sin accounts, deal with it. When's the last time you sinned? When's the last time you've heard somebody else sin? I've heard lately a lot of sin going on, and I groan about my own sin. Why? Why? Like, I want to read sports, and then all of a sudden, the, uh, an advertisement comes up. Why did they have to put that advertisement in right when I was trying to catch up with my favorite baseball hitter or touchdown guy or whatever? Why did they have to do that? Why did that person have to do that? Why she have to do that? Why did he have to do that? Groaning. It's all around us, folks. <clears throat> and Paul... The reason Paul is, and the reason tonight I'm not trying to coach you or work something up. Paul has already worked it up. And he's saying the reason he's telling you this is because what we get to expect someday. It's going to be so awesome. And he's saying, basically he's saying, hang in there. Now even though we will <coughs> not be totally free of sin's power, as long as we live, and we know that, Jesus has actually, the beauty is, Jesus has given us complete victory over the bondage of sin. I can't stand, I, you know, far right now, I go off on something. I can't stand biblical counseling, or I can't stand booklets, or I can't stand pamphlets, and I take books and I burn them when they tell you all these ways to get better, do right, be a better Christian, uh, and, and they leave Jesus Christ out of the formula. It's like, like, put off, stop looking at the advertisements, don't go to the bars, don't run to this place, don't look at this, don't partake in this, and you're going to be just fine. You have left the most important part out of Christian growth. Put on, therefore, the Lord Jesus Christ and make not provision for the flesh to fulfill the lust thereof. We leave Christ out of the picture. And for us, as all Christians, this groaning, this difficulty that we're having in our bodies. How can we display Galatians 5, the fruit of the Spirit? The only way we do that is putting on the Lord Jesus Christ, walking in Christ's likeness every day. See, our hearts every day when we wake up, our hearts are either filled with, you can, if I could write up there, you can put self inside there, or you could put Jesus Christ in there. What are you feeling in your heart? What's in your heart? Are you walking in Christ-likeness or are you walking in self? That's the only way to beat this groaning, to beat this tough world we're living in, to beat this tough fleshly body I'm living in. Because I tell you, Brian Stutz has the tremendous capacity to sin, folks. <clears throat> and I groan about it. I hate it. And so do you. And that groaning just isn't going to stop. And the difficulties the pain, the anxiousness, the suffering, it's not going to stop. So we've got to look unto Jesus. That's why I wanted to sing, I run to Christ. I've got to, every day I've got to run to Christ. So do you. What's the answer to one-on-one discipleship? What's the answer to some of these small groups? What's the answer to biblical counseling here at the church? What's the answer of people growing and people, people um, coming and, and healing? And you're going to have continued people in this community coming in. And how are we going to help them? How are we going to equip them? How are we going to disciple them and give them good biblical counseling, folks? How are they going to heal? How are they going to get hope? Back at, uh, in Ohio, people would come, and then after a few years, they'd leave. I almost referred it to as like an equipping station. They'd come filled with pain and sorrow 
and some despairing and depression. And we'd build them up, encourage them, and send them off with hope and healing off into another ministry. The only way we do that is to let Jesus Christ rule and reign in a corrupted body, a fleshly body. Creation is corrupted. We have been corrupted from the fall. Um, just think of acknowledging his own sinfulness. David cried out, for my iniquities are gone over my head as a heavy burden. They are too heavy for me. Sometimes I feel like this. Lord, all my desires before thee and my groaning. Here, David groaned, folks. My groaning is not hid from thee. My heart panteth, my strength faileth for, uh, faileth me. As for the light of my eyes, it also is gone from me. <laughs> folks, David had a difficult time. Difficult time, folks. Paul, Romans 7, 14. Oh, wretched man that I am, Paul says. Who in the world's going to deliver me from this body of death? Don't you feel like that sometimes? After you've sinned for the 15th time and you're like, who is going to deliver me from this? And then you can say, I thank my God through Jesus Christ, my Savior, my Master, my Lord. That's where I rest. He'll forgive me. He'll restore me. He'll give me rest. My anxiety, uh, you know, the red light um, dashboard, it'll go down. He loves me. He loves you. He knows your pain and suffering. I could talk all night about your testimony. It was so thrilling. I was like so pumped. I was like, yeah. It was awesome to see that God not only saved Paul, wretched sinner, Jackie, wretched sinner, Brian, wretched sinner. Look at yourself. You are a testimony of Christ's healing and his hope and his salvation and his redemption. You are a testimony to creation. You're a testimony to other unbelievers and believers that there's hope in Jesus Christ. That you can wake up another day and you can make it in this horrific earthquake, turkey, cursed world all over. Stuff like that. Wars, you can be a testimony of the power of Christ. And that's what Paul says. You want to get a hold of something, get a hold of that. 2 Corinthians 5, 4, Paul reminds us, for we that are in this tabernacle, that your body, uh, this tent, we do groan, being burdened, not for that we would be unclothed, but clothed, that mortality might be swallowed up of life. As long as we are in this tent, our human body, we will never fully escape sin's corruption in our lives, and that sin causes us to groan for deliverance someday. I was, years ago, I was preaching, first uh, talking about tents and bodies and tabernacles. You never believe I said this, but I looked right at a young lady, and I said, I bet you can't wait to get out of your tent, your tabernacle. <laughs> My wife told me later, she goes, I can't believe you said it to that woman. It's like, what's wrong with her? Like, she wants to get, get a new body, and like... Yeah, it was really humiliating that night when I thought about it. Like, I was serious. Like, like, like I bet you can't wait for the redemption of your body. Um, the, the New Testament speaks of believers as those who are already the adopted children of God. But that adoption is not yet perfect yet. We're adopted, but it's not perfect. Adoption always doesn't come out perfectly right away. Um, 
Scripture teaches that the believer's salvation, it's secure, it's tough, but it's secure by the Father, by the Son, by the Holy Spirit. Um, <clears throat> referring to God the Father, look at what Paul said in 2 Timothy 2.19. Nevertheless, the foundation of God standeth sure, having this seal, the Lord knoweth them that are his, and let everyone that nameth the name of Christ depart from iniquity. Look at what Peter said in 1 Peter uh, 1, 3 through 5. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which according to his abundant mercy hath begotten us again unto a lively hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled and that fadeth not away, reserved in heaven for you folks, you and I, who are kept by what keeps you. Listen to this, folks. You think I'm crazy sometimes. I'm standing in the kitchen getting lunch, and my wife says, you won't believe it. Your mom prayed for you every single day. I'm like, what are you talking about? And we had, she saved everything, everything. I had literally spent all one day in her bedroom packing up her clothes, going through books and Bibles and papers and all kinds of stuff. She wrote letters to priests. She wrote letters to John and Joe and Bill and this person. And she just, like, she was so active. And my wife pulls out this paper, and she starts reading today when I'm in the kitchen making lunch. She says, Monday, I pray for Brian that you would give him strength in the pulpit um, this week. Uh, Tuesday, I pray for Brian that you would help him not uh, whatever the... Uh, the fiery darts. Wednesday, I pray for Brian. And there's a paper, and she prayed every day for me. And I walk away, and I'm thinking, sometimes, I don't know where it comes from. If there's anything accomplished by me, I'm realizing it was my mom praying for me, not me. And here Paul says, we are kept by the power of God. If there's anything that happens from you in your life, it's because of the power of God in your life. You're kept by God. You're influenced by God. You're increased by God. You're, you're healing by God. You're witnessing by God. Everything about you by the power of God. Through faith unto salvation, ready to be revealed in the last day. Um, <clears throat> Hebrews 6, 17 through 19. The absolute security of those who trust in Christ. Wherein God willing more abundantly to show into the heirs of promise the immutability of his counsel. It doesn't change. Confirmed it by an oath. That by two immutable things in which it was impossible for God to lie, we might have a strong consolation who have fled for refuge to lay hold upon the hope set before us. Which hope we have as an anchor of the soul, both sure and steadfast, and which entereth into that within the veil. I'm almost done here, folks. Jesus said in John 6, 37, All that the Father giveth me shall come to me, and him that cometh to me I will in no wise cast out. The Holy Spirit secures our salvation by a work that Scripture sometimes refers as to the Spirit's sealing. Folks, more importantly, in, spirit, in, in a spiritual way, the Holy Spirit he, he seals the salvation of every one of us. Just like when I preached through Daniel um, and, and he got thrown in the den of lions and King Darius or Darius comes down with his ring and sing, signets. The Holy Spirit does that in your salvation. Nobody can break it. You're his. 
Paul assures the Corinthians in 2 Corinthians 1, 21, 22, now he which establish us with you in Christ and hath anointed us is God. God alone. That's why it's rubbish, it's heresy to add anything to Jesus Christ for your salvation and the strength of your salvation. It's Christ and Christ alone. He has done that work. He hath sealed us. The Holy Spirit has sealed us. He's given us the earnest of the Spirit in our hearts. Folks, the idea of any kind of idea, partial or temporary salvation, it's foreign to the teachings of Scripture. It completely contradicts it. If you truly are a believer here tonight, folks, you never need to fear the loss of salvation. At the moment of conversion, our souls redeemed, is purified, and it's eternally secure in God's family and kingdom. We as believers should be concerned about sin in our lives tonight, but not because we might sin ourselves out of God's grace, but because God's promise and power, it's impossible. And so, folks, tonight, I want to tell you, I'm right there with you. I groan with you. I sorrow with you. I get anxious with you. I'm tormented. I'm tempted with you. It's a tough day, but we're not alone. We go to Christ, and then we go to each other. I've got most of you in my phone that I could call or text or pray for me, help me. We're a, bo we're a, we're a body of Christ together, never holding back all this agony and power. Uh, this pain and anguish to myself, like I could conquer it all myself and not need any help. We all need help, encouragement, edification. We're groaning, and it's not going to stop. But we can expect, we can earnestly expect the glory of Christ. And you can, we can just get a taste. And I will tell you what, there is just so many neat things as we left for a week thinking about everything going on at Anchor, this is really some neat, glorious things going on here, folks. And you could just taste it. You can expect it. You can see it. You can get excited about it. It's not like if you've ever just picked up and went to church. Okay, let's go to church. Okay, let's go to church. It's Sunday. Let's go to church. Okay, let's go to Wednesday night church. Now, there's a power. There's an excitement. The Holy Spirit is moving and working through His Word and through His people. He wants you, he's, he's discipling you and edifying you, encouraging you and counseling you and healing you and giving you hope. Why? When the world comes in or when believers come in and they're hurting so you can help them. That's a fabulous, alive, working body of Christ. And that's what's going on here at Anchor. And Paul here in Romans is just trying to help us to understand there is these groans that folks, when nobody else knows, nobody else knows you're in your bed or you're in your home and you're despairing and you're depressed and you're filled with pain and sorrow and groans because of the sinful world and the sin around you listen they're overwhelming but Christ is overwhelmingly powerful in your life and he absolutely loves you and you are secure in him so don't fret don't worry don't get anxious get up Solve the problems. Deal with them. Life is full of them. Work on them. Deal with them. Through, with Christ, through Christ, in Christ. I need to stop. <laughs> Let's pray. And then Brother Mike maybe is going to come walking in those doors in just a second like that maybe. And we're going to sing How Can I Fear? If not, uh, I don't know. 
So we'll see. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for this evening. Thank you for your people. Um, I don't want to get so preachy, but I sure want to extract what Paul is saying here from the text. And if Paul was here, we could all see the excitement on his face as he walks through the gloom and doom of sin and the groaning of what the fall has happened through Adam and Eve right up through all of us being born into sin and the pain and the suffering it unleashes and the curse that God allowed to happen and brought upon this world and upon people. And then the greatest rescue ever in this world is the redemption, redeeming of souls through Jesus Christ. What a rescue mission that is. And so, Father, tonight, I, I know tonight if I was in here and I was confused and I didn't know if I was a religious person or if I had a relationship with Christ or not, I didn't understand that, and I, and I realized I was lost, didn't, didn't know anything about it, I, I realized I would fear. But tonight, these people, tonight, Father, they don't have to fear at all because of their relationship with Christ the power they have in Christ, the healing and the hope they have in Christ. And tonight, may we sing that confidently as we are sealed through the Holy Spirit and earnestly awaiting the adoption, the completed adoption, the completed inheritance that is waiting for us. We praise you for that in his name tonight. Amen.